Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bazella, the president and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and all the people, events, and policies that shape it. Today, we're going to be talking about a broad topic and one the auto industry has long been at the heart of, American manufacturing. Automotive manufacturing plays an important role in everyday lives, from providing jobs to providing the means to getting to jobs. Auto manufacturing is an immense undertaking. Today, 14 manufacturers operate 50 assembly plants measuring around 3 million square feet each across 14 states. It's a process that requires a workforce on the cutting edge, beginning with the concept in research and development to production on the assembly lines, including 200,000 highly skilled employees directly involved in building cars and trucks. As the technology and process of manufacturing cars evolves, so must its workforce. What that means is the topic of today's discussion. And joining me is Stuart Countess, Chief Operating Officer at Kia, Georgia. Stuart, welcome to The Overtake. I appreciate the opportunity and it's good to talk with you again. Well, it's great to be with you again. Let me start with you. What does the Chief Operating Officer at Kia, Georgia do? My role is is actually pretty simple, although it's large in scope. It's to oversee the production and quality operations within our facility here in West Point, Georgia. We're a factory that's producing over 300,000 cars a year capable. We produce the Sorento, the Telluride, and the K5 for the U.S. market, and then also exports to some of the North American region. That's a lot of production, 300,000 units, no? It is. We're, we've been running actually wide open since July of last year with the pandemic impacts and just continuing to try and meet the customer's demand for the products coming out of this Georgia facility. So it, it certainly keeps us busy, but it's every day it's a challenge. And those are challenges that this workforce here in Georgia have been able to meet. Yeah, before we get into that, I do really want to talk about Georgia and Kia in Georgia, but you mentioned demand, what the U.S. auto demand looks like right now. We're speaking in the late spring of 2021 as we've, we're really coming out of the depths of the pandemic. How would you describe automotive demand and what does that mean for production? I think the surprising thing that we have seen over the last months is that the automotive sector has had an increasing demand for products from all OEMs. There were some expectations going through the pandemic mid-year last year that there was potentially going to be a downturn. But what we've actually seen is the opposite curve where we're struggling to meet this demand of new vehicles. What it's certainly challenged us to do is How do we make sure that our operations are efficient all the way down through the supply chain? How do we create that efficient flow so that we can get cars out on a regular basis to those customers, but also meeting the increasing demands of the products that the customers are demanding? Yeah. Your perspective on the supply chain, I think, is important. How would you describe the the resilience of the automotive supply chain now? I think folks who maybe even only casually follow 
the automotive industry have seen news accounts of shortages in critical components like microchips, the backbone of the computing power of vehicles, and maybe either other components as well as perhaps logistics challenges. Are you facing those types of shortages and challenges, and how do you adapt to that? Well, unfortunately, we're we're seeing the impacts of this microchips issue, but I do think there's also a larger supply chain problem. We've seen congestions at ports, both on the West and the East Coast, that we've had to navigate, to use a term, our way through. Those are results of the COVID impact as suppliers across the, not only this area, but certainly with, uh, the world have had to get their operations back up and operating correctly and get supply chains filled up. But the microchips is certainly the one that probably most people are familiar with as it's gotten a lot of media attention. There's a lot of different allocation issues that are going being discussed and managed through each corporation to make sure that your operations have the right parts as you need it for your daily schedules. Yeah, so that's such an important point, right? The the industry is complex and wide-ranging, and the number of components, raw materials, parts that go into a vehicle, it sounds o- almost like an incredibly complex logistics and engineering and manufacturing marvel in a way, isn't it? It is. I don't think, I think we really kind of exposed some potential areas where we need to have improvement when the pandemic hit. We don't always fully realize outside of an industry, maybe how products and components to support those products come from various parts of the world. But what it has shown is that we need to secure our supply chains, have be it contingency plans that can need to be in place. All of those things are certainly open topics for many, many OEMs. But it's certainly challenged our workforces on how that they schedule materials in. What are those new communication methods? How do we get those products in, et cetera? So it, it has been a challenge, and I think it will continue to be a challenge throughout the year of 2021. Wow. I, you're, you're talking to us, I'm guessing, from West Point, Georgia. Tell us a little bit about Kia in Georgia. First, why, why is Kia in Georgia? How did you get there? Well, Kia Motors, as it was called at that time, we've since gone through some rebranding. Now it's Kia Corporation. We had seen, saw that the U.S. was certainly a very key market in the Kia name brand. How can we grow that? They had decided back in the 2006 timeframe that they wanted to locate a factory. We started the construction of this facility in the 2008 timeframe. Why Georgia, though? There were many things that attracted us here. There was an existing supply base as we had a sister facility in Montgomery, Alabama, but we also had the availability of the Georgia ports, and most important was the Atlanta-Hartsfield International Airport. It's the world's busiest. So it just made a lot of sense that we locate here in West Point along the I-85 corridor and take advantage of every single one of those items that I mentioned. We did begin construction in 2008, and I started production in 2009 to begin building, at that time, the original Sorrento version for us here in the West Point, and then since continued to advance that whole initiative over the last now coming up on 12 years of production. 
Wow. What has it meant for West Point, Georgia? Do you have any perspective about what West Point, Georgia was like before the plant and what's happened in the community since? I mean, this is a massive facility that just kind of lands in West Point, Georgia. What has been the community impact? Well, that community impact has been quite large. This whole area prior to Kia coming was a mill town supported by the various Callaway mills, the Milliken mills, et cetera, over the years. NAFTA changed that landscape significantly, and those facilities went away or downsized in a significant way. So when we arrived in 2008, this area had an unemployment rate in the 13% range. So there was clearly a workforce that was available. Our challenge was how were we going to train those individuals into making world-class automobiles from a quality perspective, following along in the Kia thought process of how to be an efficient, highly productive plant. So what we have since seen is we've hired all many of those people that had previously been unemployed with supply chain network coming in to support that also. We turned that whole initiative around and Kia is now the largest employer within this regional area. It's helped to reinvent the area into a highly advanced automotive manufacturing plant. We've taught people new skills over the years from programming robots to working on uh, complicated equipment that supports our plant. It's just been a complete evolution. Amazing. Take us on to the plant floor itself. Give us a flavor for what it's like. How big is it? You say, I, I think you mentioned three different vehicle lines running through the plant at one time. What is a typical production worker at Kia Georgia doing? Well, we have the traditional setup. We have a stamping facility, your welding facility, paint, and then general assembly area. In total, we have 2,700 employees that work here. We run a three-shift operation five days a week. We have weekends based on market demand, whether we need that or not. We run a single continuous line, and we're capable to run any one of those vehicles at a given time. We don't do batch building at the current time. We're certainly capable to. So we're flexible that we could just build one of each model if that's what the market is demanding. From a training point of view of our team members or an education point of view of our team members, we certainly do the traditional aspects of balancing the line so that if Telluride, which is the popular vehicle, is the one that we need to build the majority of, then we have the flexibility to build those in a higher percentage rate and balance out the others. The next week, it can be a completely different schedule that allows us to build Sorrento. So our team members are trained to be flexible in that manner, and we've been very successful with doing such. You mentioned balancing to respond to demand. I can certainly appreciate that from a customer perspective. My wife, Rhonda, is a happy Kia Telluride customer. And so she is today, as we speak, driving a vehicle produced at your plant. And from the reaction that she and, and others have to the vehicle, I can see why you need to be in a position to balance and rebalance. And I would imagine the market is suggesting that that vehicle is uh, a hit, no? It is. Your wife is one of those Kia ambassadors that has really seen what this plant in Georgia and the workforce in Georgia is capable of doing. The Telluride is, is one of those vehicles that we all want in the automotive sector. It's over two years old now, 
and there's still a six-week wait just to get a car. It's been a tremendous success from the design point of view and that it was designed for the U.S. consumer, putting anything and everything that the consumer wanted into it. But more importantly, the aspect of how we executed that, not only from R&D, but all the way to the manufacturing floor and producing a vehicle that people want to have from a quality reliability point of view, but all the way from a design point of view. It's totally functional. Does building in the United States help a company like Kia be responsive to customers? Or is it simply just a cost exercise? I need to build them, not that that's unimportant, but I need to build them close to where the customer is. I mean, how important is it to build vehicles in the United States for the U.S. market? For Kia, the U.S. is a very key critical market. It's understanding what the demand for particular vehicles are here in the U.S. and how do we be proactive to meeting those demands as quickly as possible. So yes, locating here in the U.S. was was part of the strategy. It is one of the largest markets, obviously, that's out there. So by being here, we can adjust those schedules extremely quick. The example I'd give you in the Telluride, just going back to it, it started off as a car that was estimated somewhere in the 60, 65,000 per year. And it's now capable over 100,000. So we've, we've hit a market that is really extremely important to us, but also a product that we can react to and give the consumer what they want. That raises another question with me, and, and, and it makes great sense that you, you want to be able to react quickly to the market. You mentioned the broader supply base in the geographic vicinity of, of the plant. I assume that's, that's another outcome of your investment is that you see now localized investment in the broader supply chain. Is that what's happening around the plant in Georgia and the sister plant in Alabama? It absolutely has. Since 2000 and eight coming in here. There's a number of suppliers that uh, support solely us. And then there's a number of suppliers that support both of the Hyundai Motor Group family cars. So what you've seen over those number of years is that supply base and the corresponding jobs grow. The I-85 corridor, which stretches from, in our case, particularly Atlanta, all the way down to Montgomery, is filled with a number of different suppliers that support one or both of these facilities. The number of jobs that we like to talk about just from supporting our facility and the supply network is well over 14,000 jobs that have been created since we've been here. So so that that's the so-called ripple effect, right? So so the 2700 manufacturing jobs, the assembly jobs at the plant that you're running are generating those other jobs, right? So they're 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 creating five times, six times the number of jobs that that are directly employed at your plant. Absolutely, they they came here with us and have experienced that same amount of growth that we've been able to experience, and that too has helped grow this whole region from a jobs perspective point of view. People have stable employment. We're working in advancement of new products as they have progressed through the years and certainly look forward to that continuing in the years to come. 
Yeah. I want to go back onto the plant floor. You mentioned there are a stamping operation. So of course, uh, spools of steel come into the plant and then they become body panels, right? Give us a little bit more insight. Are these very high-tech jobs? Are they low-tech jobs? What is the type of, how would you describe those jobs today? Well, there's a wide variety of different jobs, obviously, within the entire facility. From a stamping point of view, you have team members that are certainly setting up presses to run those jobs. You have die maintenance individuals that are working on those to- on the tooling to fine-tune it, to do preventative maintenance. Those are all skill sets that we obviously had to grow within this area. They just didn't previously exist. The same goes in the welding shop, which is the next step in that process as it's stamping feeds it. We took individuals who had worked possibly in a mill before, and we taught them about teach robots to do the welding parameters within our shops. You clearly have other jobs inside our paint facility. Again, those people are working in robotics. We've continued to grow their education to help support the plant. In the general assembly shop, it's still a large manpower to help build a car, just the way it simply is from laying wire harnesses to putting trim parts. But these individuals have skills that they understand what our quality requirements are. They recognize when problems are occurring. So that's a skill enhancement as we view it and how their overall growth within the company are helping us to identify problems at the earliest point. And then they become part of our problem-solving team within our factory. How do you train and develop the workforce? What are some of the tools you use to do that? Well, we use, if we have a new model year that's coming along, a new car, far in advance of the first trial stages, we input that car into our system to gain basic knowledge from the very beginning. So there's a number of different repetitions that those individuals will do in an online basis. But then we also take team members into an offline environment. And it's, again, showing them how to do the work, but then also listening to them about maybe methods and ways in which they see that we can do this work more efficiently. That's utilizing their knowledge. They do those jobs hundreds of times a day, and we would only it would only be smart for us to listen to what they have to say. So I think that that's part of our culture over the years that have helped us to get to where we want. So it would seem to me that that feedback loop actually would have tangible benefits with regard to manufacturing efficiency and I would argue quality maybe even. Is that right? It absolutely. It fits into the efficiency and the quality equation. And those Those two things are not independent of one another. My background in history has always been, for the most part, in the quality arena, but those two things have to fit together. I can achieve higher efficiencies if I'm doing it correctly the first time. And that's part of our, our culture in teaching since the very beginning is there is a right way to do things, and there certainly is a wrong way. How do we get everyone to do it the correct way? and learn from there, make it through a continuous improvement process. How do you think about not only the workforce that's in the plant today, but the future workforce? I mean, is that a consideration that you need to have? Again, the employee that you need three years from now, five years from now, maybe even 10 years from now, do you think about the workforce pipeline or is it, I can't afford to be that strategic? 
Well, you have to be strategic looking out 5, 10, 15 years from now. Our approach has been one in which we work with the different educational systems throughout the state. We go into the elementary and middle school thinking that we need to help these young potential employees through hands-on experiences. The World in Motion program through SAE were heavily involved in that and have been doing it for a number of years. But our idea is to try and grow our future talent. We've gone into the high schools through an investment into a college and career academy, providing robotics and other technologies that we use, trying to get those high school students interested in what their next step will be once they graduate high school. From there, it goes into the technical college system, providing cars, engines, other technology to grow our workforce for the future. So it is a process of how we have to get individuals ready The last one that I tell you is the maintenance side. We had an experience in the very early beginning of the plant trying to find maintenance individuals that could work on the equipment in this particular area. What we quickly realized is we needed to develop our own programs. So we worked with our partners at the state level and then ultimately the technical college system level to develop a maintenance certification program. That not only provided education to those people who were current maintenance team members, but it gave provided an avenue for our team members who maybe were in the general assembly shop doing a particular job there, an opportunity to grow their career. And they could submit an application in to become part of that certification program and take on much more responsibility. There's so much there. I mean, you've got key is it effectively investing in education to support your future workforce. And, and, and I also, I like the idea of the opportunity for career advancement and that's benefits, not only your employees, I would imagine to some degree it benefits your supply base and maybe even your competitors in the sense that you're creating a skilled workforce broadly. It has, and other OEMs that I've had conversations with over the years, I think what we've all realized, especially in the maintenance area, looking back years ago where we had trade schools and that type of educational program, we've seen a shift away from it. So we need to find a way, both as a company, but in a larger picture, to how do we get those skill sets? How do we get people interested in manufacturing? One of the things that we've seen in manufacturing is Sometimes it's not viewed as the most enviable job or the sexy job. So it can be, but you have to be able to show them the technologies that you're using inside your individual factories that someone will then recognize and say, that's of an interest to me. Making a car is much different than maybe making an iPhone or a computer. But manufacturing can still be very interesting and challenging from a knowledge point of view in the automotive sector. And that's where we have to change this whole discussion. Yeah, boy, that's really interesting. So give me an example of a part of the manufacturing process that's got a technology element or an interesting challenge that you might want a high school student to see that might spark their interest in this cutting edge field of manufacturing. Well, the most recent one I think that comes to mind, there's a lot of discussion around big data, measurement programs in a welding shop. You're gathering lots of data points and making adjustments to other robotics within the facility. So how do you get that potential employee to recognize 
that there are sophisticated and complicated ways to not only gather data, but then to feed it back to make an improvement in the process. That's been a change in the evolution of the automotive industry over the last five to 10 years, and it just continues to accelerate. It helps us become more efficient, but it also helps us to build a better quality product. Mm. What I'm fascinated by in this conversation is how much technology-related thinking is in the manufacturing business today. I do think that that's going to be a surprise to people who haven't been on an automotive plant floor recently. Well, it is, it is increasingly grown. There is no doubt about it. I take a step back to 2009 when we first made our, our first Sorento here. If I look at where that car was from all the different features that were on that car and where the most current Sorento is, it is an evolution of various technologies. There's more control modules. There's more testing that has to be done. There's more parameters that have to be set. I don't see that that's going to go away. As we move more towards EVs and autonomous vehicles, that's just an accelerating curve of that technology that you have to incorporate, but you also have to have individuals who can handle the equipment and the systems in order to manage those processes. That's important. The, the idea that the technology in the cars affects the technology and the skill sets required to build them. It is. Again, from a technology's point of view, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you had options such as rear camera. Well, now almost every single car in the market has a rear cam backup camera in it. You now have collision warning systems of various natures. And how do you have to process those vehicles through your individual lines and that the computer interactions and the programmings that have to happen on these cars is going to continue to build? There's large numbers of engineers from a research and development point of view working on those. But in the end, you have to implement that into a factory from an efficient point of view that you still have a volume that you need to make based on your capacity. And it takes a lot of smart people to do that work on a, on a planning point of view, but also how do you keep it up and running on a daily point of view? As we're looking at the technologies, the cutting edge technologies in cars today, and then again, looking toward the future, a greater amount of electric drive in vehicles, for example, as you mentioned, more EVs or more automation with crash avoidance systems and perhaps highly automated self-driving vehicles in the future. You've talked about how that affects the manufacturing process. What's your view about those, what is required for us to be able to really build and develop those technologies in the United States going forward. I mean, are we ready now, for example, to build large numbers of electric vehicles? I mean, do we have the sufficient battery capacity and mineral supply chains and those types of things based on what you can see right now? Do we really need to be thinking a little bit more strategically about those things as well? Well, I think we strategically need to definitely think about those. There's been a lot of discussion recently, certainly about infrastructure. Electric vehicles and the such certainly all work well in uh, large metropolitan areas. But when you get, for example, in West rural Georgia, it's a very different equation. There certainly are solutions out there. The question is, how are we going to get there? The 
support from the technologies that I believe will go into the cars from battery concepts. Again, those are very interesting areas, especially with the attraction of the workforce for the future. Those are high-tech jobs that individuals are needed in order to continue to develop them. We used to have battery cars or batteries that only lasted 100 miles, and now we have them that they last in excess of 300. So technology has worked, but it still has a long way to go. Yes, there are supply chain issues. The, the minerals that go in are required to make such is a topic that needs to be resolved. What that answer to that one is, I'm not certain that I know the full, full answer on that by any stretch, but we do need to think strategically in how we're going to bring those about. From a customer point of view, we only have about 2% of the car sales in the U.S. of EVs. So we have work also to do there. How are we changing the mindset of those consumers who purchase cars that they don't have range anxiety or some other concern related to electric vehicles without a market demand for that product is difficult, certainly, to implement it. And we have to put our heads together and how we're going to resolve those and solve those concerns that individuals have. Putting your heads together is, I think, a good a good way to think about it. It seems to me, as I'm listening to you describe the, the changes required about consumer acceptance, for example, a lot goes into that infrastructure, the resilience of the electricity grid, critical minerals, those types of things. It sounds to me like not only do car companies need a strategic approach, but we need, perhaps as a country, private sector, public sector, together a strategic approach to how we make this shift. I would agree with that. It's not a one in one group or industry type problem. It, it's going to take collective heads together of how we implement this together and be successful. So We've had, as I'm sure many have had, a lot of discussions of where we see things going, but certainly what those concerns are. Um, I think you have a lot of people that are willing to share what the ideas are, but we do need a plan of how we're going to make everyone successful. It, it I, even goes into things like the FMVSS type issues. If you look at those and you look at EVs, there's a lot of those that have to be updated in order for us to accommodate some of the things that are going to go into EVs and ultimately into autonomous vehicles. And we can't make cars for 50 different states, 50 different set of parameters. And so how are we going to, again, get a systematic plan together where we can all do what is necessary and be profitable at it? FMVSS, of course, Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. In other words, the running rules that that govern the development and and capabilities of these vehicles need to be aligned with where the technology is going and there needs to be one consistent set. That I think is really important. I noticed there have been some media reports about major investments that your company is making in these new technologies. So it sounds, based on what I'm reading at least, is that your company is bullish on these technologies going forward. And so first, am I reading that right? And second, what does that mean for your footprint in the United States? Well, Hyundai announced a couple of weeks ago now a plan to invest $7 billion into the EV and EV technology. What that specifically uh, means for, let's say, Kia or Kia in Georgia, we've now uh, introduced last week in New York the EV6 
first EV, fully EV vehicle. So it's our first step forward. It's a change in the way we're, as a company, viewing automotive manufacturing. We're going away from, instead of being, for example, Kia Motors Manufacturing Georgia, we're Kia Georgia. The Motors is uh, not there because we're moving towards a mobility solutions provider. And there are many things that go in that. It's about EVs. It's about PBVs or purpose-built vehicles. It's about other fuel cell technologies that are out there that can all be very favorable for the environment. It's other solutions of how you provide ride sharing, et cetera. So there's many different avenues. Those things will continue to develop over the time period. And then what we here in Georgia are working to do is to prepare ourselves that we're ready with not only a workforce, but a plan of how we're going to execute our piece of this for Kia. On that point, being ready for the future, I mean, what keeps you up at night? What What is a question that's unanswered or a concern that you have that you're not sure is going to be effectively addressed? What would that be? Well, I think there's actually, there's two things. One keeps me up more than the other. I do think we'll eventually get the infrastructure strategy plan as a nation. We'll get that solved. But I think that more importantly, what we as a manufacturer of cars have to do is get our workforce ready. And where is that workforce going to come from? That That's, that's a bigger challenge because, again, I, we have to get people interested in the process of making electric vehicles or other mobility solutions. It has to be viewed as there is a great career and I have knowledge and et cetera to contribute to this process. We're certainly facing some of those issues right now with workforce shortages. So, I, again, that, that has to be my number one concern. Mm. Let's say there's a young person listening in right now. He or she might be a middle schooler or she might be a high schooler. What advice would you have for her or him if he or she is looking toward working in the automotive manufacturing sector? Based on things that we've done here successful, I think that they should look into their school programs. Are there things like a college and career type academy to get some hands-on experience? Try it. You may like it, you may not, but at least you'll understand a whole lot more about it. As you progress through the timeline and go into college, I think that co-op experiences of those types or internships, et cetera, are extremely valuable. Again, that gives you some really eye-opening experience about what, what is out there. Talk to your counselors. Companies, we as companies uh, within the industry have also got to be more open and sharing about what future careers look like. We know what they look like today, but we have a pretty good idea where they need to be in the next five to 10 years. And we need to share those experiences with these individuals that are in middle school and high school. You're trying to set the stage of here's what, here's something you need to consider and here's the benefits to that. Let us help you understand where industry is going. Well, Stuart, this has been a real joy to talk to you, and I want to thank you for being on The Overtake. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you again and look forward to continuing in this industry. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. Remember to like and follow the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn and subscribe to The Overtake wherever podcasts can be found. 
Until next time, thanks for being with us. Thank you.